to bear with me as I work through this because I, I am going to um, conduct this series a little differently than I have in the past and sort of blend together theological, historical, and practical perspectives on this subject in a way that I think might prove more meaningful uh, to us as a group and I think might also express uh, the simple idea that we may very well be, uh, the church of Jesus Christ may very well be uh, swiftly approaching a new and fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that is uh, terribly <laughs> exciting. <laughs> um, when, when that has happened historically throughout church history, it has been so consequential, not only in, in bringing renewal to the church, but uh, sweeping revivals, spiritual awakenings that touched whole nations. And um, it excites me to think that we may, in fact, uh, well, I used to say be on the cusp of, but I think now moving in the periphery of just such uh, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So I want to work through this a little differently than I have in the past. And so um, I... I told several people, working toward this, I was struggling for two weeks. Now, I enjoy preaching from an outline and, and lecturing from an outline, and I, I was so struggling. And coming into last week, after two weeks, I just said, I'm going to scribble some verses of Scripture down, <laughs> and I'm simply going to open my mouth and trust the Lord to fill it. And, uh, and, and uh, some found it very helpful last week. I uh, listened to the video myself, and didn't cringe throughout the entire <laughs> video. <laughs> um, and, and to some degree, we'll be doing that tonight, not cringing, but <laughs> um, working through this process simply because I'm trying to plug in several, uh, several different perspectives together uh, as we move forward. Um, but there may also be... Uh, uh, a few evenings where I, I may solicit some of your own experiences and have you share them with the group. Some people have shared privately. I mentioned the, the um, event that occurred in 1974. In, it was Kansas City. And uh, I've read about it. I, I was not there at 74. I was, uh, I was 12 years old. My only regret at that time is that I had not turned my life over to Jesus earlier. <laughs> but uh, David, you were not... Tommy, you were there. Tommy said, you're too young to have known about that. And I said, well, I read about it. He goes, well, I was there. Um, and so some of you all have ha had some wonderful experiences that it might be helpful uh, to share with um, everyone here uh, as a group, so I, I may be calling upon, I, I won't just point at you, I'll, I'll discuss it uh, a week or two before so that you can feel miserable and frightened in the days up to that moment. <laughs> um, all right, now last week I did notice that I, I uh, began uh, uh, discussing a point from Acts, the first chapter, that I didn't complete, so uh, tonight, let's return, actually, let, let's, uh, before we return there, let's open up to Luke, I believe it's Luke 24, verse 50. 
Father, we welcome you here and thank you for your presence and ask that by your Spirit you would disclose to each of us Jesus Christ even more intimately and that, uh, that Christ may more fully dwell in our hearts by faith. In his name we pray, amen. Luke 24, now <clears throat> Jesus has uh, presented himself to his disciples and numerous appearances following the uh, resurrection. And finally, in verse 50, in Luke's account, we read that he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. They returned with great joy despite the fact that Jesus had in fact departed from them. But I think the truth, during the 40 days he appeared to them following the resurrection, the truth that he expounded upon uh, in John's, uh, it's recorded for us in John's gospel, beginning with the 14th chapter through the 17th or 16th chapter, in which he explains to them that he would in fact return to them, though he was going to prepare a place for them that both the Father and the Son would not leave them alone, but would come to them. And so while Jesus had gone uh, to heaven to prepare a place for us, the Holy Spirit had come to prepare a dwelling place for the Father and the Son in our own lives, in our own hearts. And th the truth that Jesus would in fact come and remain with them in the person of the Holy Spirit was so settled in their hearts that though they saw Jesus ascending into heaven, they knew that in the person of the Holy Spirit, he was present with them. And so they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, let's pick this up in Acts uh, chapter 1. Luke in, in, has also, he penned uh, this uh, book as well, the, the book that we refer to as the Acts of the Apostles. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, Acts uh, 1, beginning with verse 1. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the father had promised which he said you have heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now so when they had come together they were asking him saying Lord is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel he said to them it is not for you to know times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth and after he had said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going behold Two men in white clothing, obviously angels, stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? 
This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now this is a remarkable verse of scripture to me. I want you for just a moment uh, to imagine yourself being among that number who had witnessed this extraordinary event. Jesus, following the resurrection, which was in itself a wonderful, um, supernatural, mind-boggling event to have witnessed firsthand. And he continued with them for 40 days, sharing with them things to come, helping them to understand certain mysteries, and then suddenly... He bids them uh, farewell and he begins being lifted in a cloud into heaven. What would you do? I mean, it's unlikely you go, huh, well, that's cool, and just walk away. You, you, you would be transfixed by this event. Gravity has lost its hold on Jesus and he is floating toward heaven and a cloud is receiving him. You'd want to stand there, certainly to behold that, but you would also probably begin to worship him. In the midst of this, two angels appear, and they ask, what are you doing? It almost seems an inappropriate question. Well, what do you think we're doing? Only you wouldn't do it because now two angels have posed this question, and now it's shock upon shock. And they simply said, just as he's leaving, he's coming again. You all need to do what he said. And off they go. So I think the exclamation point here is that Jesus said, go. So don't stand here idly watching him ascend into heaven. He's coming again. That really clarifies for me the sense of mission that, uh, that Jesus attached to his command to go. Not a moment to waste. Not even to behold something um, as extravagantly fantastic and supernatural as the ascension. Nor to stand there and worship him as he's being taken up into heaven. Instead, the command is, hey, go. The clock is running. And so off they go to uh, Jerusalem. Well, they're waiting for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly they decide, hey, Judas is no longer counted among us. And they recounted that sad story. And so we need to, uh, we need to select from among us a twelfth man. And the long and short of it was, in order to do that, they cast lots. And that was simply, it could have just been a, a, a small uh, a, a bag or a container that held white stones and a single black stone. And people would reach in, not seeing what stone they were gathering, and pull them out. It was not dissimilar from when we draw straws. And that was how they chose the 12th man. Now, from this point forward, we never see anyone in the church Casting lots. Instead, we see them listening for the Holy Spirit. 
Just as they would have turned to Jesus when he was with them, Jesus, what shall we do now? And they, they often asked Jesus questions. Well, after all, he was right there and they knew he, he had the answers. So they, they, they simply asked him directly. Well, now, as uh, following the day of Pentecost, suddenly they were very aware of the reality of the presence of God the Holy Spirit. And so they began listening for his voice. And I think it's in Acts 6, in fact. They're praying and they're seeking uh, God's will in a particular situation, and they're listening. And the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work where do I've sent them. And throughout the book of Acts, you will see that the church now maintains a hearing ear, and that the Holy Spirit speaks again and again. And as you read through the epistles, you, you, you see an emphasis on the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit as he guides the church and members in particular. And as I said last week, as, as wonderful as it might have been to journey with Jesus during his earthly ministry, you and I can enjoy just such intimate communion with him today. In fact, we enjoy as New Covenant believers, an entirely new edition of intimacy, of a more profound intimacy. He said, the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will be in you, empowering us and motivating us. Now, a question uh, that is asked is, what was this power that Jesus promised? You will be endued with power don't leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, filled, we see this, this uh, dramatic event uh, that's listed. In fact, let's read it. Uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And on that day, the church would uh, explode. 3,000 members were added that very day. And it continued to grow. Uh, the Lord adding to the church daily, we read uh, later in the book of Acts, um, adding to the church daily those that should be saved. Um, those were heady events for men and women that had been hiding for fear of the Jews just a few weeks earlier. Something changed dramatically. What was this power and what was its effect? What was its purpose? Well, some have concluded that this power uh, was a power that would allow them to demonstrate the reality of God through the miraculous. Well, that can't have been it because they were already enjoying that power. I think it's in Luke, the ninth chapter. Jesus calls them, sends out the 70, and he gave them authority and power. And they began casting out demons and healing the sick from that point forward. So this was something they were already engaged in. He gave them both the authority and, and the power, authority and power, uh, exousia and dunamis 
And they're important. Uh, and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we discussed uh, during our previous series, uh, the eternal series that we call the parable of the sower, <laughs> and, uh, and then last week uh, re referred to it as well, um, the Holy Spirit discloses to us Jesus in such a fashion that it ignites faith in our hearts. Uh, we looked at Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word, uh, word as it occurs in Romans 10, 17, is actually the Greek word rhema, which is different from the word logos. The logos is the written word. But the rhema word is the God-breathed word. That is the word that comes to us when the Holy Spirit discloses to us Jesus. And we have an encounter in that moment with him. We literally experience Jesus. We'll look at it more closely maybe tonight, maybe next week. Uh, and we looked at it several weeks ago. But this, uh, this um, phrase that Paul employs in his second prayer for the church at Ephesus, where he is praying that they would... Uh, experience, or, or excuse, excuse me, they would know the love of God in a fashion that surpasses knowledge. Know something, I want you to know something, but it's something that surpasses knowledge or it's unable to be grappled with on a purely intellectual basis. Well, how can we know something that surpasses knowledge? Through experience. Um, if Don's never had a, um, um, oh, any dish, some marvelous dish that I'm very familiar with, and Don's never had it, I can explain to Don the taste, the textures, and he may, he may have an approximate sense of uh, what it might taste like, what its textures might be, but until he actually tastes it, he won't really know. And, and this is the sort of knowledge concerning the love of God um, that God makes available to us through revelation or God by His Spirit disclosing to us Jesus. And remember, when we're reading through the Word, we're renewing our minds, but all toward the end that God the Holy Spirit will cause it to come alive, that Jesus will leap out of the pages of the written Word into our hearts. We will experience Him. So what, what we know in Scripture, um, the goal isn't to simply uh, have an intellectual encounter with the Word of God and adopt a new philosophy and acquire a new perspective. It is to experience and know Jesus Christ more intimately. Knowledge puffs up, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, but... Love edifies or builds up. We need to be built up to grow in grace. And that occurs through encounter. This, uh, this ministry that has been given the Holy Spirit, Jesus said He will not speak of Himself, but He will speak of me. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal to us Jesus. Faith comes alive. It's ignited, an enduring faith. A faith that 
in, in the words of Mark 11.24, can move mountains. Well, that's the sort of faith we need. That's the sort of faith that yields miracles. Do you remember uh, the <laughs> Jesus was approached once by a man. Uh, his son uh, was in need of healing, deliverance. And he said, I brought him to your disciples, but they were unable to do anything. And so Jesus prayed for the young man and, and he was delivered. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus began addressing unbelief and he said, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. And if you look very carefully at the syntax in those verses of scripture, he's not suggesting that the demons don't come out but by prayer. This sort of demon doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. But this sort of unbelief is not dislodged except through prayer and fasting. Authority and power are delivered to us uh, as a gift. They're, they're, it is given to us by Christ, but its effectiveness increases as our faith grows. And so Jesus had given authority and power to the disciples, but there were moments when it didn't yield miracles because their faith was simply not sufficient. Authority is, is uh, I think it's the Greek word exousia, and it's really talking about jurisdiction. If there's a police officer uh, in Gainesville, um, he is authorized to enforce the law where? In Gainesville, but not in uh, Tallahassee. Does anyone enforce the law in Tallahassee? <laughs> in Orlando? A Florida, a state trooper in Florida... A, a, a state police, what are they, state trooper, that didn't, what do they call it, what? State trooper? Okay, FHP, Florida Highway Patrol, that's the technical name. They are not authorized, they have, they have no jurisdiction in Georgia. Once again, does anyone enforce <laughs> um, But they are authorized to enforce the law uh, in Florida, or Gainesville police officers here in Gainesville. Um, authority is, is crucial. Uh, Brent, you live here in Gainesville. Have you ever been annoyed by someone speeding? Have you ever thought, if only I had a blue light? Beth, Beth is like, I would pull that person over. Um, but let's say you purchased a blue light. Let's say you found one on Amazon. And you ordered it, and it arrived, and you plugged, you, you had wired it to your car, and, and here comes Mr. Um, Speeder, and he buzzes by you, and you're sufficiently annoyed. You flick a switch, and the, the light begins to flash, and maybe you've attached a siren to your car, and he pulls over, uh, and then behind you pulls a police officer and says, you don't look familiar to me. <laughs> well, are you a police officer? Well, no, I'm just annoyed, and I'm, I'm uh, conducting a citizen's arrest. Well, the speeder would likely leave. You, however, would not leave unless you were handcuffed because you've broken the law. You'd, um, you had the ability to stop the um, speeder, and if you had a weapon, you would have had the power to stop them, but you lacked the authority. Um, Jesus has given us authority 
but he's also given us power. Because when you're dealing with an outlaw, they rarely respect the law. That's why they're outlaws. They live without regard to the law. And so they need a persuader. That's generally uh, the business end of a firearm, right? And they become wonderfully compliant when that's brandished. They may, not, they may not be concerned at all about jurisdiction. They may not be concerned about the officer's authority, but their attention was secured with, the, with uh, that officer's power. We're dealing with uh, uh, an outlaw, a spiritual outlaw, an adversary, who is the enemy of God. We've been granted authority by God the Father to enforce His rule. But power is required because we're dealing with uh, the adversary. He provides that. As our faith increases, our ability to exercise authority and power increases exponentially. But that was present with the disciples before the day of Pentecost. So what, what power was delivered to them? It's a good question. Let's look at John, the 20th chapter. They were not born again on this day, were they? They were not born again on the day of Pentecost. Now, some people say that's the birthday of the church, and, and I think there's real truth in that. That was the day the church was born. But the, the, uh, the disciples were by that time quite regenerate. They had been born from above or born again. Uh, verse, let's, let's see, let's begin with verse 19 of, of John 20. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said, to them again peace be with you as the father has sent me i also send you so now they have believed upon the risen lord and he has commissioned them verse 22 and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive ye the holy spirit so at that moment they were born again very much like the first man in the garden of eden when god breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. Here the disciples received eternal life in that moment. They were born again or born from above. They were born of the Spirit in that moment. So <clears throat> that leads me to ask the question, if they received the Spirit then, what did they receive on the day of Pentecost? Well, it was the same Spirit, but we read they were filled with the Spirit. Same language we read in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine or in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, um, the language employed in Ephesians 5.18 is unique. We would read it, it would be more accurately translated, be being filled. It's a, it's a present tense constant effort. Be 
being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why must we be being filled? Why is it not enough to be filled just once? That's right. We really do leak. We do. I mean, that's theologically correct. We leak. In uh, um, Peter's epistle, we read that Lot, you remember Abram's nephew, living there in Sodom, he was vexed, is the word the King James used. It means literally worn down. He was worn down by what? By their deeds and what he saw and heard. Say saw and heard daily. He was worn down. That's called life in a fallen world. How many have ever just felt worn down? It is remarkable. We, I, can, I sense the presence of Jesus here. We've collected together in his name. He's promised to join with us here. In a couple of days, this feeling that I'm enjoying right now will begin ebbing if I allow it to. Now, I, I will say that's one reason we ought to collect together regularly. In fact, Paul wrote, uh, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as is the manner of some, especially when you see that day approaching. It is so crucial that we join together regularly. We're, we're enjoying corporately the presence of Jesus Christ. Plus, you're just great people. And we're social creatures, aren't we? We really need to interact with one another. <laughs> There's enormous value um, in that. But <clears throat> let's face it, we're not going to be together all the time, are we? You guys want to come live in our home? We've got a great guest room. Stay there. We can just get up and encourage each other every day. Now, we've all got lives which we're leading. So when we are apart, how do we remain filled with the Spirit? Well, we're not going to talk about that too much tonight. But we're commanded to be attentive to that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. But w why? What's that power for? Well, you will notice that Ephesians 5.18, its context is centered in um, a personal lifestyle which, which reflects the reality of Jesus within and reflects a mandate to maintain unity and peace and joyful cooperation in all of our relationships, in our fam uh, family relationships, in our, in our work relationships, our, how we interface with one another in the church and how we interface with the world. He talks about simple things like um, being kind, not lying, not stealing. <laughs> He's writing to Christians. He's suggesting that in order to lead a lifestyle which actually reflects the reality of Jesus within, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, a very few people here, I, or maybe nobody, would ever be tempted to lie or to steal, at least so obviously. 
But how about um, other less virtuous behaviors? Has anyone here not sinned since Sunday? This is shocking. <laughs> I didn't raise my hand. Um, now that doesn't mean we all went out and embezzled the, you know, the company or murdered someone or had an affair. I hope. If you need to make confession, I'm a little tired tonight for that load. Call me tomorrow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but we've missed the mark. What do we feel when we miss the mark? Frustration? Guilt? But yeah, disconnected? It can create uh, problems on so many levels. And yet, it's so common. Why is that? Would you like to be, would you like to be more Spirit-filled? How do you think do you think sinning less would lead to a more spirit-filled life? You know, the inverse is true. If you walk in the Spirit, Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sadly, we've inverted that model. Now listen, if you just do the right thing, you'll enjoy more of God's presence in your life. Suggesting that through, I guess, uh, the, the, the sheer force of will, we can do the right thing and then God will honor that if we do. That is not a theologically sound idea. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Spirit-filled life is the Spirit-empowered life. And the Spirit-empowered life is a life in which the fruits of the Spirit are abound more and more. And what are the fruits? Or what? Let me ask you, what is the fruit of the Spirit? No, it's singular. Remember, go back and read in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is didn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the virtues that emerge from love are, are um, identified there. Long-suffering, patience, gentleness, kindness, joy, faithfulness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus said they will know. He said we're to be... They're, they're to wait in Jerusalem to be filled with the Spirit. Why? So that you will be my witnesses in the world. Well, what is the witness that we provide? Jesus said in John the 13th chapter, they will know you are my disciples by your love. The Spirit-filled life unleashes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are so wonderful. The Spirit-filled life can lead to miracles. Miracles of deliverance. Miracles of healing. Signs and wonders. And they're all so marvelous. But the chief aim of the Spirit-filled life 
is to be a witness. To live our lives in a fashion that people can see Jesus living in and through us. And that is impossible with the absence of the Holy Spirit. Have you, I want you to be honest. Is it incredibly easy to get annoyed with people? I was on the phone today. I run a couple of businesses. I'm on the phone today and I get a call from uh, an agent. He's like, well, I, I can't get on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at the shop now um, getting my uh, email on my new phone and I'm trying to get into the payment gateway. Now, all this had been provided before. And I've got a lot of stuff to do. And so I'm, well, I know I've sent you that. I, I can resend that right now. And well, and how do you, I, I, don't, I don't have an Android phone. I'm not sure. Well, let me put this woman on. He was at the Verizon store. And, and, uh, and so I'm getting walked through all of this stuff, and it was clear that she didn't know what to do. And at some point, I was just like, I wanted to say, oh my gosh, will you leave me alone or shoot me? And I thought, well, that's not Jesus. <laughs> not even close. But I could not deny that that was my impulse. I just wanted to go, stop it. Leave me alone. Go away. Hang the phone up. But <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, I wasn't spirit-filled, but I was being filled. <laughs> I could sense it gradually rising. <laughs> But there was a war going on. <laughs> um, and that was a little thing. It just happened to be that I had an extremely full plate with stuff running over on every side. And I knew I would be teaching tonight as well. <laughs> um, but then we, we bump into people that are really rude. They're discourteous. They're mean. We, sometimes we just bump into bad people. How do we respond to them? Look, in the absence of the Holy Spirit dwelling richly in you, you will fail frequently to respond to people correctly. You will fail to respond to temptation effectively. It is impossible to live the Christian life in the absence of His Word and Holy Spirit. You're just not going to do it well. Now remember the urgency that's attached to this commission to go into all the world. They beheld this... Oh gosh. That wasn't my watch they beheld. But they beheld this extraordinary sight. Imagine, let's just for a moment... We're not 120 of us, but let's just imagine we're standing here and Jesus is right there. And suddenly, gravity loses its hold on him and he starts to ascend. And, and uh, this cloud of glory surrounds him. And we're watching Jesus ascend into heaven. I would not want to take my eyes off of that. I'd want to watch. When a rocket goes off Cape Canaveral, I watch with my binoculars until I can't see it anymore. This is Jesus ascending into heaven. And I would want to stand there and worship him. And yet in the middle of that, two angels appeared and said, what are you doing? He's coming, he's coming back. Go, go, go. There's a real, 
there's a, there's a real urgency in that. And what is the urgency? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We cannot live our lives negligent of that truth. We are surrounded by people who are dead. And without the intervention of God, will spend their lives eternally separated from Him. I'm to be a witness to prevent that horror from unfolding in their eternal lives. So I thank God for the joy of the Spirit-filled life. I love the presence of Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm head over heels in love with Him. And I sense His love for me, which is amazing to me, but I joy in it nonetheless. I enjoy the gifts of the Spirit. I love to minister to people and to see God's power make a difference in their lives. I want to pray for people. I want to see miracles. I love to see people help, and I love to see God just reveal Himself so wonderfully and gloriously. And as marvelous as all of that is, it doesn't even begin to compare with the power of a life lived consistent with the commands we find in Scripture. The power of a life lived in the love of God, where God's love is overflowing and revealing itself in everything I say, everything I do, and everything I think is the world's most powerful witness because everyone knows somehow on some level that's not possible. That is not possible. And when they see a life lived like that, it's intriguing. It demands questions. Questions that must be answered. And that's the power of, a, of our witness when we live our lives like that. And so as we work through this process, yes, I want you to be so excited about the possibility of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the wonderful joy of the Spirit-filled life. But I also want you to be conscious of the fact that if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to be a witness in the fashion that Jesus is urging me on to, I must lead a Spirit-filled life. I want to walk with Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit so that He becomes so visible in my life that everyone notices Him, believer and unbeliever alike. Okay, I got wound up there at the end. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are so grateful for Your Word. And we pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would unlock its mysteries to us. Most of all, reveal Jesus to us. Lord, we love You so much. We yearn to know You better. We yearn to enjoy Your presence in our lives so that Your love transforms us. Drawing us into intimate communion with You and allowing a level of communion with one another that is impossible any other way. We pray that You do this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.